I hope you guys aren't disappointed. <laughs> oh, good morning, friends. So if you've met me, um, actually in person or online, who knows, um, you've probably heard that I'm from Memphis. I do bring this up fairly frequently. <laughs> so growing up there shaped a lot of who I am and what I love. Racial justice, the Mississippi River, barbecue, Memphis barbecue, um, just to name a few things. It has also shaped some of the things that I don't love so much, like religious proselytizing. So it is, in fact, the Bible Belt, right? Um, all of that to say, I have personal baggage around the phrase born again. Or at least the way I've experienced it previously. The claim of being born again was often used in tandem with the cudgel, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Uh-huh. Because individualism and fear are really going to win me over. Okay. So despite being raised in this fire and brimstone theology, a couple of decades ago, I found myself in the process of becoming an ordained United Methodist clergy person. Okay, and you can ask Tyler about this later, but that process is no joke, okay? It's like an epic journey, like Lord of the Rings, but without many orcs and no ring. But among the battles, I mean steps, is a full day of interviews. Each candidate meets with three different teams that focus on different aspects of leadership and ministry. Clergy as person, so like, can you keep good boundaries? Do you take care of yourself? What is your prayer life like? Clergy as leader, how do you build up other leaders? What is your leadership style? Da, 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 da. And clergy as theologian. And the one that I found most intimidating is theology. So it's not so much that I can't think theologically, right? But it was the interview in which I was most likely to verbally vomit and never actually make my point. <laughs> Being stressed about trying to be coherent and concise while six people are taking turns asking you questions is understandable, right? Right? Okay. And the questions, you know, they're real softballs. Like, what would you say to a family with a terminally ill infant who hasn't been baptized yet? You know, the real light and easy stuff. But that question is actually meant to make space for someone to articulate their understanding of a theology of baptism, kind of in a practical sense. So I may or may not have blurted out something akin to Baptism is not a golden ticket to heaven. This is why I preach from a, a script, because unscripted Dana, you just never know what's going to happen. But the core of some possible responses to that question, that question about baptism, the core could be fear. 
whether it's kind of an older Catholic fear of unbaptized infants ending up in limbo, or a Southern Baptist fear of going to hell without accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the fear of condemnation is something from which many of us need some deprogramming. So in this morning's scripture, um, we meet Nicodemus. Um, and in the couple of uh, verses prior to what we actually read, we learn that Nicodemus is a religious leader. And he comes to meet with Jesus at night. So he opens with this acknowledgement that Jesus has come from God as evidenced by his miraculous signs. Jesus doesn't respond directly to Nicodemus's opening affirmation. I mean, you know, some of us, the words of affirmation aren't our love language, and that's fine. <laughs> Instead, Jesus busts out with this statement, seemingly apropos of nothing. I assure you, unless someone is born anew, and this is where it's often translated again, it's not possible to see God's kingdom. So Nicodemus is trying to catch up with the sudden change in topic. And he replies, how is it possible for an adult to be born? It's impossible to enter the mother's womb for a second time and be born, isn't it? Okay, friends, this is what happens when people take things literally and without nuance. Anyway, back to Jesus. Jesus clarifies that he wasn't saying people ought to be physically born again, but they needed to be renewed by the Spirit. And this kind of birth is the result of the labor of the Holy Spirit rather than the embodied physical labor of birth. Entry into physical life becomes a metaphor for the birth in and through the Spirit. So... Nicodemus shows up to meet with Jesus. He thinks he knows who Jesus is and what he's about. But then he's told there's more to it. In order to experience eternal life, he'd have to be born again by the Spirit. He'd have to be awakened to God's dream for the world. He'd have to become more responsible for reflecting God's love in the world. Like Nicodemus, we might think we know who Jesus is and what Jesus is about. But wait, there's more. We are to be born of both water and spirit. We are to be nurtured by the waters of the womb and by the waters of the world and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So if you've been around church for a while, you, the imagery of water and spirit may sound familiar because it's frequently used in baptism services. Baptism is a sacrament that celebrates the nurturing and empowering work of both water and spirit. So John Wesley, one of the founders of the Methodist movement in the 18th century, considered a sacrament to be, and I quote, the outward sign of God's gift of inward grace to which humans have the responsibility of an outward response. Without our response, the sacrament is not completed. Water and spirit, physical and spiritual, inward and outward, both and, not either or. 
baptism reminds us that we are beloved of God and that we are all good. Baptism also reminds us that we are called to live in ways that recognize and honor the goodness of all who are beloved to God. BT Dubs, that's everyone in all of creation. In our baptism liturgy, um, those being baptized or their parents, if it's an infant or child, make promises of how they will, or they will practice this faith. So New City uses a liturgy that's adapted from the United Methodist, like Book of Worship, um, with some language changes that it, we've adapted to fit our context, right? Right. So here's what we promise to here. We reject the ways of the empire and the spiritual forces of domination and oppression. We repent of our sin, our participation in the empire, and we take on the lifelong work of turning our hearts toward God. We accept the freedom and power God gives us to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. We accept our part in the body of Christ in the community of the global church. We trust the grace of Jesus and commit to lovingly communicating that grace to the world. We affirm that God's love is freely available to all of creation. In our baptismal covenant, in these promises we make, we affirm a commitment to rejecting harm, embracing liberation, and reflecting God's love in the world. We are not called to a life of faith simply to avoid hell. We are not even called to a life of faith because we're yearning for heaven in the afterlife. We are called to embody heaven on earth in the here and the now, in the material and in the spiritual, in our worship and in our ways of being. And that is the eternal life promised by Jesus. Active and fully embodied love of God and all of God's beloveds. So when I was pregnant with our first child, Brad and I went to Memphis to visit family. And I approached my parents' pastor, the same pastor who had officiated our wedding, and asked if he would baptize the baby. We were married in that church. Wouldn't it be cool to have the baby baptized there too? Right? So my head was full of these images of the baby clothed in Brad's family heirloom christening gown, the one that three generations previous had worn, and then to be baptized in the place where we'd been married pastor said no. <laughs> so I probably looked <laughs> I probably looked a little bit like Nicodemus when Jesus busted out with that non sequitur like what? I thought I knew what baptism was about and Jesus and the pastor were like but wait there's more. So taking pity on my obviously befuddled self the pastor went on to explain that baptism is meant to be done in community. Baptism is meant to be lived out in community. It's not just the sprinkle of water that makes it baptism. The congregation promises to join the parents in raising the child in faith, to recognize them as beloved children of God, and to renew their own commitment to the ongoing 
inward and outward transformation made possible by the Holy Spirit. The congregation is the community in which we nurture and support the collective outward response to the sacrament of baptism. Without our response, the sacrament is not completed. So it turns out Pastor Jones's no that day made for a much more profound yes in my life of faith. We set out visiting churches and eventually landed at a United Methodist Church in Ann Arbor, Michigan. It was there that I raised Southern Baptist and Presbyterian and my spouse raised Catholic could find a common ground. Even when we moved from Ann Arbor to St. Paul, we sought out another United Methodist Church because we'd found a theological family. None of us are given a golden ticket when we're baptized. Instead, we're invited into a community of practice to embody and make manifest God's dream for the world. A community that supports and holds us accountable to practicing love in body and in spirit. A community that takes seriously the call to healing and restoration in the here and in the now. In community, we affirm a commitment to rejecting harm, embracing liberation, and reflecting God's love in the world. It's beautiful. It's messy. It's hard. Rejecting harm calls us to protest genocide of the Palestinian people. And it calls us to interrupt anti-Semitism in all its forms. Embracing liberation means white folks doing the work of dismantling white supremacy in their own bodies and people of color doing the work of healing so that we can all be free. Reflecting God's love in the world means holding one another accountable in love rather than discarding people when they mess up. And friends, we can't do any of this alone. We cannot do it without God, and we cannot do it without one another. So by rejecting the fear-based individualism of born-again Christianity, we can start to experience community as the body of Christ and recognize that this collective body is also all good. We are created by, nurtured by, and loved by an embodied God through the waters of the womb and the waters of the world. We are called to live an, em an embodied faith, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We, as the whole, all-good body of Christ, are sent forth to participate in making God's dream for the world a reality in the here and the now. May it be so. Amen. Amen.